Reading today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light, and my voice is fading away. (laughs) Sorry. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to come to you, to meet with you, and to find rest in you this morning. Amen. So, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's a great, encouraging verse, isn't it? It sounds fantastic. The kind of verse that you would, in the old days, have been able to buy on a poster from CLC. Just checking the age, checking the age. CLC was a Christian bookstore. Do you remember what those are in the city center? Nowadays, you'd have to buy it online, or, or you could get it on a greetings card, or on a T-shirt, on a paperweight, on a mug, or on a fridge magnet. There's always a fridge magnet. Perhaps you've got one on your fridge next to the inspirational magnet that says... Don't count your years, make your years count. Do you like that one? Or don't stop dreaming until your dreams come true. Do you like that one? No. No. (laughs) I hope I haven't offended anyone who finds inspirational magnets um, inspirational. But I guess the question is, is that what this verse is? Is it just something to make us feel good when we get the milk out of the fridge in the morning for our cornflakes? Or is there a deeper truth to feed and to nourish and to strengthen us? I hope so, but let's see. What what exactly is Jesus promising in this verse and in the wider passage? Well, have a look. I'm going to start with a bit of background. Our passage begins with the phrase, at that time, which begs the question always, doesn't it? At what time? So we go back to the beginning of the chapter, of chapter 11. We can read that Jesus is in Galilee. His cousin, John the Baptist, is in prison. And John has sent some of his disciples to Jesus to ask whether Jesus really is the one who is to come, or whether they should expect someone else. 
And Jesus tells them to go back and tell John what they have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and so on. In other words, what do you think? Who do you think I am? Jesus then speaks to the crowd about John, highlighting the people's inconsistency. We're never inconsistent, are we? Jesus says, John came neither eating or drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, came, and he is eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. He can't win. And then Jesus goes on to denounce the towns in which he has performed miracles, places where people have seen the power of God physically at work, and yet people have not repented, and the the towns have not accepted him. And so it was at that time, presumably during this same interaction with the crowd, and in that context, that Jesus speaks. And he begins by speaking first to his father and then to the crowd, though I think both are for the benefit of all those who are listening. So I've got four points about what he has to say, and, and there will be a test later, so make sure you're watching. Only joking, there's no test really. My first point, an invitation to the humble. Come to me. The invitation to come to Jesus comes after some clear pointers as to the attitude with which we should come, as well as some strong hints as to the identity of the one to whom we come. Firstly, we see Jesus praising his Father for hiding these things, that is the significance of who he is, from the wise and learned and revealing it instead to little children. It's not literally children that Jesus is talking about here. There are other parts of the Bible where when he says children, he means children. But sometimes he means those who come with the attitude of of children, those with the simplicity, the trust, and the openness of children. It was to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear that he revealed himself, those who came humbly seeking and questioning. As Jesus had already pointed out, many of the people of the towns of Galilee who had witnessed his miracles firsthand seemed to have completely missed the point. And specifically, it's often the religious leaders and teachers who considered themselves well-versed in the law, the prophets and the ways of God, they knew what it was all about. Yet they were the ones who were blind to what Jesus had to say and what who Jesus was. It was their arrogance, their self-sufficiency, their self-inflated sense of their own importance and supposedly superior knowledge Their desire to remain in control. All these things prevented them from truly coming to Jesus. They were the ones who, if they had properly 
lived up to their responsibility to shepherd God's people should have been the first to recognize the signs of the new kingdom. And yet they failed miserably. Let's be clear, Jesus isn't condemning intellectual power and good biblical knowledge. He is condemning intellectual pride. It isn't the case that you have to be stupid or intellectually challenged to admit a need for God, but you do have to be humble. Being clever and being humble are not mutually exclusive. You can be both. And thankfully, you can also be not very clever and humble too. And just to hammer home the importance of humility, we go to the end of the passage. And what better role model do we have? For Jesus himself says in verse 29, For I am gentle and humble in heart. And at the risk of sounding flippant or disrespectful, if it's good enough for Jesus... So who are we coming to? In verse 27, we see one of the most explicit statements of Jesus' relationship with his father that's to be found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Gospels that we know as the synoptic Gospels. We read, All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus the Son is one with the Father and will reveal him to those who come humbly seeking. And the only route to the Father, to God himself, is through the Son. So in other words, the children see what the wise and learned cannot, that Jesus the Son is sent by the Father and reveals the Father. And the humble are invited to come and see. And so my second point, an invitation to the weary and burdened. Maybe some of you need that invitation this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I've been preparing this for probably just over a week or so, and I've just got out of the habit of saying heavy laden. Who remembers heavy laden? They've obviously decided that burdened is a better translation of the original. It would seem from what Matthew writes later that much of the burden that was being carried came from these religious leaders. The list of rules and regulations, the do's and the don'ts, the musts and the mustn'ts, weighed heavily on the people who were trying to follow the religion, to stick to what they were being taught, and to follow God as best they could. In chapter 3, speaking of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, Matthew writes, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. And again, and woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, 
You hypocrites, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter, those enter who are trying to. And believe me, Jesus' accusation of those leaders goes on for several verses in that chapter. The people probably also felt the burden of being under Roman occupation. That might have come to mind as they hoped that God would send someone to make them a free nation again, part of their expectation. Those are our burdens, necessarily. I don't know what burdens you. Thankfully, we live in the New Testament times with at least some understanding of grace and forgiveness and freedom that Jesus brings. But maybe we are still burdened by the guilt of what we should or shouldn't have done. Or maybe by the guilt of what we should or shouldn't be doing. Maybe we're burdened by a sense of failure and not quite making the mark. Maybe we're burdened by a sense of fear of being rejected by Jesus. Or maybe we're burdened by the weight of expectation of the world that we live in. We must do this, be this, go here, visit there, own this, achieve this, earn at least this. A fulfilled life looks like you fill the gaps. It's a good job, isn't it, that Jesus really meant it when he said, Come to me, you weary, burdened people. What weighs you down? What burden is Jesus inviting you to take to him this morning? And so we have an invitation to rest. Or not, maybe. It's a great verse, isn't it? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I wonder what you think that rest looks like. Sometimes if I need a rest, it's a feet up, cup of tea, maybe a little bit of television. Or if I really need a rest, it's feet up, head down, and a little snooze. Sometimes the one merges into the other. But the important thing I found is to make sure I finish the cup of tea before I nod off. Who's done that? Is that the sort of rest that Jesus is promising? I don't think so. Not that rest isn't, and it is, not that rest isn't. I'm saying rest is an important part of the rhythm of life. But I don't think it's inactivity or idleness that Jesus is promising here. I think there's a hint of the Sabbath rest that is to come. The rest that is spoken of in Hebrews chapter 4. The rest that is an eternity spent with God. Where all the burdens will be lifted. Where there will be no weariness. 
But I don't think we'll be lying on the sofa drinking tea there either. Well, not all of the time. Hopefully some of it. But it's not just about the rest of eternity. Neither is it a complete rest from all the obligations. Look back at the Sermon on the Mount in earlier chapters in Matthew in 5 and 6 to see what Jesus says about how we should be living our lives. In the context of a heavy load imposed by the religious leaders, I think the rest that Jesus promises to those who humbly come to him is partly a rest from or a relief from. It's a rest from the weight of expectation. It's a relief from the guilt of not being good enough. A rest from the sense of failure or from the striving to impress or to please, even the striving to please God. On the positive side, the rest that Jesus promises is the peace and hope and presence of himself who is with us always. That's what I think the rest is, is that is promised to those who go to Jesus burdened and weary and give those things to him. I say this partly because we read after Come to me uh, who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. He goes on then to speak about a lighter load. So it's not that everything is taken away. Because we have this invitation to a lighter load. And it would be a lie to say that the Christian life is a doddle. And that God has no expectations of us. The invitation isn't just to come to Jesus, but to follow Jesus and to walk in his ways. And I don't know about you, but I think being a follower of Jesus is demanding. But remembering back to a life without him, I know that I wouldn't choose any other way. Eugene Peterson's The the Message Bible, a a paraphrase of the Bible, which some of you uh, I'm sure have come across, translates some verses from earlier in Matthew's Gospel. In Gospel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. And he writes, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, the way to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. That sounds like a bit of a burden to me. But we read Jesus' invitation in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As one writer sums it up, we might infer that it is his teaching, his way of discipleship, 
which is not burdensome, but life-giving. He invites the weary to learn from him, for he is not a tyrant who lords it over his disciples, but is gentle and humble in heart. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy. The word easy is, is usually translated in the Bible, good or kind. The yoke that Jesus offers is not a yoke of oppression, but is good and kind and life-affirming. The truth is that if there's a load to carry, then it's probably better to carry it with a yoke than without it. Now, and I don't want to hear about this afterwards, okay? There may be some yoke experts amongst you. Please don't come and seek me out. But my not terribly extensive research on yokes reveals that there are broadly two different types. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, soft and hard-boiled if you didn't hear it over that side. No, there are two, two types of yokes. I've just got to find it now. And I think they both reflect something of what Jesus is promising. Firstly, there's the single yoke for an individual animal or even a human being. And it's designed to make the load easier to carry, to spread the weight, I suppose. And a well-fitting, individually designed one makes the burden carrying seem like a much lighter load. But then there's the double yoke, which is used to join two oxen together to help them to work together to share the load. A bit like me and Pete on the tandem, maybe. <laughs> maybe not, because it's me that does all the work, really. <laughs> Jesus doesn't just load us up and send us out. He comes with us and he helps us. I am with you always. I'm going to finish with this summary of the passage that I came across that I found quite helpful. It's not that Jesus invites us to a life of ease. Following him will be full of risks and challenges as he has made abundantly clear. He calls us to a... Sorry, there's... Thank you. That's okay. He calls us to a life of humble service, but it is a life of freedom and joy instead of slavery. It is life yoked to Jesus under God's gracious and merciful reign, free from the burden of sin and the need to prove oneself, free to rest deeply and securely in God's grace. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Amen.